The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. We're preaching through the book of Proverbs, in case you're wondering. We didn't just pick that passage for baptism day. Um, This is where we're at. This is where we're at. Uh, This is what happens when you preach through books of the Bible. But hey, if, if you told someone that God loves them, and they asked, how can I be sure? How would you answer? How do you know God loves you? How do you know anyone loves you? How do you know anyone cares? Well, there's lots of ways, but one way is through warnings of danger. Parents know this. Think about, or anyone who was a kid, you know, think about this growing up, right? Your parents warned you because they love you. Don't put your fingers in the light socket. You know, look both ways before you cross the street. Always stick together at the mall. Don't go by yourself, you know. Watch out for that tricky intersection. Don't pass on a hill. Never drink anything that you didn't see poured into the cup for you or open by yourself. All these warnings, right? We say these things to our children because we love them. We love, it's the same with God. Listen to how one theologian puts this. He says, in the Bible, God goes to very, a, a very great deal of trouble to signal to us danger ahead. And to use every instrument in his persuasive arsenal to turn us from it because he cares for us. If he didn't, he wouldn't bother. In other words, the warnings in the Bible are expressions of the love of God. They're not the only expression of the love of God. Of course, we're told that God sent his only son because he loves us. And he, Jesus died on the cross while we're still sinners. That's, the way, that's one of the, the chief ways that we know that God loves us. But his warnings express his love too. This notion is summarized quite nicely for us in our text today in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 23, which reads, the proofs of discipline are the way of life. Or how the New King James puts it, the reproofs of instruction are the way of life. To put it even more plainly, God warns you because he loves you. And God warns you because he wants what's best for you. Look at chapter 6, verse 20. It says this. It says, My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and a teaching the light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. Church, God desires through his word to lead you, to watch over you, to speak with you, and, and to light your way through this cursive road called life like a 10,000-watt spotlight, okay? All because he loves you and wants what's best for you. That's why warnings like the one that we're going to look at today are in the Bible, And and the warning today, in case you haven't picked up on it, is very specific. It's the warning of adultery. It's the warning against adultery. And just to be clear, adultery, okay, adultery happens when a married person has sex with someone to whom they are not married. That's adultery, all right? It's different from fornication, which would be, which would include sex before marriage, uh, sex outside of marriage, sex between people who are not married. Okay, that's different. It's still a sin, but different than what's in front of us today. Adultery is also more specific than the the general biblical category of sexual immorality. That's a broad category in the Bible. Adultery fits underneath that, but it's more specific. And what I want to stress this morning is that the text is specific, and we're going to allow it to be. 
we're talking about a warning against sex with or by a married person to whom or with someone to whom you yourself are not married. So it could be a married woman with a single man, like in our text here. It could just as easily be a married man with a single woman. In fact, as we get into chapter 7, we might even say that the behavior there of the seductress is much more likely to come from a seducer, a male seducer in our day. Adultery can also be a married woman with another married man, married man with another married woman. All of that is adultery, and both parties are called adulterers in the Bible. That's what this text is about. Okay? My son, keep your father's commandment. It's singular. Solomon has one thing in view here today, and so do we. Verse 23, if the commandment is a lamp and a light... The teaching is a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Now, before you start to think, this has got nothing to do with me. Before you start to maybe think that way, don't be so sure. That's exactly the kind of simple thinking that gets the young man into trouble that we're going to read about in chapter 7. This warning needs to be heeded by all. Additionally, verse 25 tells us where adultery starts. Do you know where adultery starts? It starts in the heart. Verse 25, do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. The word for desire there in the Hebrew, it's also the word for lust. Lust. In fact, several other major translations have the word lust here. Lust is where adultery begins. In fact, Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount... Jesus did something very intriguing in the Sermon on the Mount. He took the seventh commandment to not commit adultery, and he paired it right up with the tenth commandment to not covet. And what does he say? He says, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Listen, just in case we're missing it, okay? Let me put it real bluntly here. If looking at someone with lustful intent is counted as having already committed adultery in the heart, according to Jesus... You better believe that looking at pornography is too. Now, you better believe that, that slowly gazing upon a photo on your phone, zooming in, you know, watching that Netflix scene again, all that is as well. Digital adultery is still adultery. And sex is everywhere in our society, isn't it? It's everywhere. Sexual images, sexual scenes, sexualized advertising, all of it, it's everywhere. And adultery begins with lustful eyes. Nothing fuels adultery like, like fantasy. And none of us are immune to this, which means every one of us needs to hear the warning in the text today, the warning of adultery. And what I want you to leave here understanding is that, number one, God warns you about adultery because he loves you. And number two, God warns you about adultery because he wants what's best for you. First, he warns you because he loves you. We've already talked about God loving you through warning you, but let's look closely at the warning here in our text. It begins in verse 26 with the word for. Do you see the word for there in your copy of the scriptures? The reproofs of discipline are the way to life, to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart. Do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. Verse 26, for or because. And here come the reasons, here come the consequences, the content of the warning. And this is incredibly practical, okay, and massively helpful. What's here in this text, um, just about no one else 
Nowhere else is going to tell you this, all right? Uh, Not TV, not the movies, not the internet or the socials, not our culture. For some in this room, not your parents, not your Christian, not your non-Christian friends. Everywhere else you look, listen, and learn says explicitly or implicitly, go for it. Go for it. But the Bible is very practical on this point. It tells it like it is. And that's it's very helpful, actually. Remember, Proverbs is wisdom literature. It's not laying down law. It's laying down wisdom. Okay, Proverbs, we've said, is aimed in a lot of ways at the 85% of life that the Bible's not clear on. But today's different. <laughs> right, here we have Proverbs actually practically elaborating on something from the 15% that the Bible is very clear on. Adultery in the Bible is very clearly a sin. It's in the top 10 list in Exodus 20. All right, Jesus talks about it in the New Testament too. Adultery is sin. It's wrong. You should not commit adultery because it's sinful and wrong. And, well, that's absolutely true (laughs) and biblical. And and we believe it a thousand percent around here. Proverbs takes a different approach. Yes, adultery is sinful. Proverbs assumes that. But it's also foolish. That's what Proverbs teaches us. Some time ago now, someone asked me, uh, we were talking about sex before marriage, and using our def- definitions, that's fornication, okay, but the, the illustration's going to carry. Uh, we were talking about sex before marriage, and this person asked me, they said, I know the Bible says it's sin, but can you give me any other reasons why it's bad or not a good idea? And I really appreciate the honesty of that question. I really do. Here's why. We can know that something is sinful and still justify it a million different ways, can't we? We can convince ourselves that the rules don't apply to us. Not in this case. Not in this situation. We're in love. Surely God doesn't look unfavorably upon love. Isn't he a God of love? Or think of any other area of sin in your life. You can know something that is sin in your head And not believe it in your heart. You can know something is sin in your head still do it anyway. Why? Because you don't believe it in your heart. You believe it in your head, not your heart. You do it anyway, which means you don't really believe it at all. Your knowledge isn't changing you. Well, God, in his great mercy, he addresses us in that place too. And he tells us in this text several other reasons why adultery is bad. Why it's not a good idea. And so we have in verses 26 through 35. This section is all about the consequences of adultery. And and here we learn that the consequences of adultery are severe, inevitable, and extensive. Look at verse 25. It says, Do not desire her beauty in your heart. Do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread. But a married woman hunts down a precious life. That's a weird sentence, isn't it? That is weird. I mean, first off, I don't think the price of a prostitute is equal to the, the, the cost of a you know, loaf of whole wheat, okay? Um, maybe it is, was back then. I don't think it is now. I haven't checked, though, either. You know what I'm saying? But look, what Solomon, what he's saying here, he's not condoning prostitution, right? But rather, he's comparing committing adultery to prostitution. And he's saying prostitution is bad. That's sinful too. It's assumed here. Paying for sex with with anyone, especially someone who's not your wife, you know, like just so we're clear, it's sinful. It's destructive. But the point he's making in the second line of verse 26 is that adultery is even more severe 
It'll cost you your life. Now, in some ways, under the Old Testament law, that was literal. All right? You read Deuteronomy 22? <laughs> Deuteronomy 22 in the Old Testament, someone's caught in adultery, the man and the woman put to death, stoned to death. But also, as Pastor Adam put it so well a couple weeks ago, we're talking about a series of smaller deaths here too. We'll look more at those in a moment, but for now we need to heed the point that the consequences of adultery are severe. They are life-threatening. Secondly, the consequences are inevitable. Verse 27, can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Go and walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched. So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. (laughs) There's two rhetorical questions here, which are answered with the point in verse 29, you'll never get away with it. Even if you do here on earth, you'll never get away with it eternally. What the adulterer is touching is fire. Like the, the warm embrace of an illicit lover is not just a, a, a warm and, and fuzzy feeling when you're sad, lonely, or feeling desperate. It's, a, it's an all-consuming fire, Scripture says. What you're walking on are not eggshells trying to not get caught. You're walking on hot coals. You're going to get burned. You're not going to get away with it. Like the, the consequences are inevitable. Do you know anyone who's committed adultery and gotten caught out in it? Maybe someone in this room. Do you know anybody? I do. And then you hear some of the details and you think, no offense, but how stupid, how silly. I was meeting with one such person a number of years ago on the other side of him getting caught out and he was broken by then. I, I, I think he was truly repentant by then, this man was. He got fired because of the nature of his job, and rightly so. When I met with him, he's, he's crying. He's repentant, I think. He's trying to put the pieces of his life back together. I'll never forget. There were several things he said when I met with him that I'll never, ever forget. One of them was, he said this. He said, it's crazy that we are always the last one to see the depth of our sinfulness. Or to use the language of Proverbs 6, he was playing with fire and he didn't even realize it. How could he ever think no one would ever find out? That's what Proverbs 6 is teaching us. You can't carry fire next to your chest and not have your clothes catch on fire. They they will. You can't walk on hot coals and not burn the bottoms of your feet. You're going to get burned. And you can't have sex with your neighbor's wife and have it go unpunished. The consequences of adultery are inevitable. And then thirdly, they're extensive. Verse 30, people do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite while he's hungry. But if he's caught... He'll pay sevenfold. He'll give all the goods of his house. Like even a thief, Solomon's saying here. Even if people don't despise him for stealing because he's hungry, even the hungry thief who steals has to pay sevenfold up to all the goods of his house. How much more extensive then are the consequences 
to be for the one who commits adultery, not to satisfy his literal hunger, but his sexual one. He who commits adultery lacks sense, verse 32. He who does it will destroy himself. Does destroy himself, it says. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away, for jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. That last part there is just real talk, okay? Uh, You sleep with someone else's wife, man. You sleep with someone else's husband, women in the room. Don't be surprised when they come after you, all right? I mean, the Bible's not condoning revenge, but it is not oblivious to the impulse either. That's why verse 32 says the one who commits adultery lacks sense, and there's a list of some of the smaller deaths here then that, that follow. You'll destroy yourself. You'll be wounded. Get a beating, another translation says. Possibly beat up, punched, slapped around, literally, but also figuratively. One of the other things that that person told me who'd been found out was trying to put the pieces of his life back together and walk out in repentance. He was a believer. And and he said, hey, uh, never forget it. He said, I feel right now like I am enveloped by Jesus, like he's all around me. Even at his lowest, he didn't doubt God's presence with him. He said, I I feel like I'm completely enveloped by Jesus, but Jesus is letting the blows through. Blow after blow after blow after blow, and Jesus is letting it through, letting the beating through. It's painful. Adultery can, adultery will destroy. It'll destroy your life. It'll destroy your family. It'll destroy your friendships. It'll destroy a church. It can destroy your business, your relationship with your kids. Dishonor and disgrace, it says, will not be wiped away. Listen, from a conglomeration of stories I know about or people that I've walked with through this sort of stuff, you, you can not only lose your spouse, you can lose your house. To move back in with your parents as a grown adult. Blow up a friend group beyond anything that could possibly ever be repaired. Cause devastating and lasting trouble to any and all children related to those who are involved. Lose the respect of your kids. Think about this, dads with daughters in the room. You want to give up the opportunity to walk your daughter down the aisle for a one-night stand? True story. You can blow up a church. Your reputation get spread all over social media and on, online. Not lies. Just somebody telling the truth. You can lose your job, lose your business because of word getting around about your escapades and people are starting to find that you're not trustworthy to do business with. Possibly having to move and start your career all over again. Listen, it's shame, disgrace, dishonor, wounds, avenged by a, a furious spouse. And no amount of money can make these consequences go away, verse 35 says. They're severe. They're inevitable. They're extensive. And God's word here warns you of them. Praise God for this. He warns you because he loves you. The warnings continue into chapter 7. Look at chapter 7 beginning in verse 6 with me. Solomon now tells us how one finds himself in such a scenario. In verse 6, For the window of my house I've looked out through my lattice. 
And as seen among the simple, I perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. Notice there's two people involved here in this section. The young man, presumably unmarried, could just as easily be a young woman. And a married woman could just as easily be a married man. The point is how this person is described, simple verse, or how these people are described, simple verse 7, lacking sense in particular here. This person is young, though this isn't a temptation that anyone outgrows. But the temptation in Proverbs is, is towards someone who is unwise. The, the simpleton is someone who is unwise in the book of Proverbs. Someone unaware of danger. It's, it's someone without fully formed convictions, perhaps. Keeping their options open, uncommitted, still exploring. Still exploring life and all of its seductions and temptation. And this, he's on the road to her house. Do you see that? He's out looking at nighttime. He's not an innocent victim here. Next, we meet the second person in, in verse 10. Behold, the woman meets him. We'll soon learn that she's a married woman. Again, just easily could be a married man. Dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart, it says. Dressed to kill, in a sense. All right, dressed to the nines, dressed to seduce, dressed to very intentionally attract sexual desire and attention. She's also described here as wily of heart. The ESV footnotes this and says that the word wily literally means guarded, guarded of heart. In other words, she's unguarded in her appearance. She's presenting herself physically fully available, and yet she is completely guarded in her heart. She's not looking to give that away. It's the same if it's a man. A man who is looking to commit adultery against his wife may seem fully available, and yet he's not fully available. He's really only sexually available. He's not offering his heart, ladies. He's offering his body only, no matter what he says. Verse 11, back to the story in our adulteress. So she's loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market. And at every corner, she lies in wait. In other words, she's looking. She's, she's seeking. She's lying in wait. It sounds almost predatory. That's one way to think about it, actually as a predator. Or if we switch the male and female around, he's a predator, ladies. He's after one thing. Verse 13, she seizes him and kisses him. There's a sexual advance here. It's physical. She's initiating contact that feels good. With bold face, she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices and today I've paid my vows. She poses as religious. She tries to paint herself as a Christian, perhaps even to to pray, predator that she is, on the innocent who opens himself up vulnerably because she's posing as a Christian. Surely a Christian wouldn't lead me astray. Oh, but it continues. So now I've come to meet you. I seek you eagerly. I have found you. Now we're in the realm of flattery. You're special. You're, you're so wanted. You're desired. I've come for you. I've been watching you. I've been seeking you. I want you. And I found you. I've spread my couch with coverings. 
colored linens from Egyptian linen. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloe, cinnamon. All this implies wealth, luxury, exoticness, excess, which she now puts very bluntly. Come, let us take our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. This is her offering all night sex, all kinds of ways, every act, all night long, multiple times over, without hurry or rush. This is sexual excess. It's all part of the allure. The thirst for illicit adventures and untried experiences is all a part of the seductive deceptiveness of adultery. For my husband's not home. He's gone on a long journey. Took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he'll come home. This could be her again or him. Let's flip it. Let's flip it. Maybe this is him expressing his loneliness, perhaps a way of him saying that his wife isn't fulfilling him in all the ways that he desires to be fulfilled. Maybe it's a loveless marriage or a sexless marriage. Or it could be a simple statement of, no one ever has to know but us. My husband's away. There's no threat of him returning early. It'll just be our little secret. Come on. Don't you want to have a little fun? With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. Two people here, see? One is described simply as simple, though not a victim in this scenario, but a willing participant who has strayed out down a dangerous path. He knows where the path leads. He's taken the road to her house. And the other is a seducer. Predator, even. On the prowl, we might say. Lying in wait. It's like a player. A player. And she's presented herself physically desirable. She's verbally persuasive and seductive, emotionally flattering. Who doesn't want to be wanted a little? She's posing as a believer Oh, sure, in a general sense, God frowns on this sort of thing, but not in our case. God's a God of grace. He's a God of love. He'll forgive us. After all, why do you think he gave you these sexual longings to begin with? It's, it's almost his fault. It's like he wants us to do this. He doesn't expect you to repress your arousal. These are the adulterous tactics. Solomon is exposing them here. Quite vividly and explicitly, I think you would agree. So that you're warned. He's warning you because he loves you. Verse 22. All at once he follows her. It's like a vacuum gets switched on. All at once, sucked in, can't go back. You're past the point of return. Adrenaline shoots through your veins. Like hormones are just like racing through your body. Your nerves are, are twitching. Your neurochemistry is on fire, and there's only one way to quench it. As an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast, Till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And then verse 24 reiterates the original warning. And now, O sons, listen to me. Be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray in her past. For many a victim she has laid low. 
Like, don't even start down the path to begin with. Don't be fooled by the smooth talk. You're not as special as this person is making you feel. In fact, you're very likely not to be the first one on the receiving end of their pursuits, and you're most likely not going to be the last. If the adulterer cannot keep his or her covenant with their current spouse, what on earth makes you think they're going to be faithful to you? Verse 27, her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. Remember the consequences. They're severe, they're, they're inevitable, they're extensive. Solomon is saying, this will destroy you. Whew. Now, that might feel dark, that might feel heavy, that might feel like a stark warning, but remember, it's here for a reason. God warns you because he loves you. And not only does God warn you because he loves you, God warns you also because he wants what's best for you. Remember verse 23 back in, back in chapter 6? This commandment, this instruction, everything we've been talking about so far, it's intended to be a lamp and a light. Bind it on your heart. Really take this in. Tie it around your neck. Don't leave home without it. It'll lead you. It'll watch over you. It'll speak to you. Reproofs like this, warnings like this, and this one in particular, warnings of instruction are the way of life. Solomon says something very similar beginning in, at the beginning of chapter 7. Look at chapter 7, verse 1. He says, My son, keep my words, treasure up my commandments with you, keep my commandments, and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart, say to wisdom, You're my sister. Close. Call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. So 623, this warning is the way of life. 7-2, keep it and live. Which is not the, it's not the Bible's way of saying do this and you won't die. It's the Bible's way of saying do this and you'll thrive. Thrive. You want to live life to the fullest? Live it the way God designed it to be lived. Sex between one man and one woman in a committed and public relationship of covenant marriage. It's good. It's joyful. It's best. I didn't say it's easy. It's not. It's hard. But it's the best. It's glorious, actually. So much better than any shallow satisfaction offered to you by an adulterous one-night stand or an adulterous three-year affair. It'll never satisfy like this. This is how you were designed to be deeply, relationally, emotionally, even sexually satisfied. God warns you because he wants what's best for you. He's not holding out on you. Now, it's precisely at this point where we need to pause and acknowledge some things, all right? Probably needed to do this earlier, actually. Because some, when you hear, God wants what's best for you, you ask, then why didn't he give what's best to me? There's some in this room who've been victimized by adultery. Literal, digital. What I want you to hear this morning is that God, God sees you. God hears you. He knows you. He loves you. He's with you. And through Jesus Christ, he can heal you. Heal you. I'm so sorry for what's been done to you. 
Like trust has been damaged big time, if not completely destroyed. Wounding has happened deeply. There's thoughts that you have to wrestle with now that you didn't previously have to wrestle with. And that's not right. It's not appropriate. But you might be dealing with feelings of insecurity now that you never dealt with before. Feelings of doubt now. Feelings of rage. Even guilt. Even though you did nothing wrong. Like, ladies in the room, would you hear this clearly? If your husband has committed adultery or digital adultery, it's not your fault. He's the one to bear the weight of that sin. The marriage covenant has been broken, though, and God takes that so seriously that it's actually one of just a few cases that he states in the scriptures that divorce is permissible. And he hates divorce. If that's you, you've been a victim in that way, and you've never talked with anyone about that, would, would you... You should prayerfully consider talking to somebody about that. One of the pastors will direct you. Ladies in the room. We've got other ladies in the room who would love to walk with you and help you in that. Help connect you maybe to some counseling. Talk to someone about that. Receive the healing from Jesus through maybe another brother or sister in Christ. Men with men, women with women, just so we're clear and careful. And... And this is, a, this is a big and. This is, okay, we're gonna make a turn here, so just prepare yourself for a turn here. And without taking any significance off of what I just said, without excusing any of it, without removing consequences for anyone who has committed adultery, I also wanna carefully say this. Jesus also came to save adulterers. He did. Jesus also came to save players. He met one at Jacob's well. In another instance, the scribes and the Pharisees brought to Jesus a woman who had literally been caught in the act of adultery. And Jesus said to the self-righteous scribes and Pharisees, do you remember this? Hey, whoever hasn't committed any sin, let him throw the first rock. And they all walked away. And what did Jesus tell this woman? I do not condemn you. Go, leave here, sin no more. Jesus came to save adulterers. And so if that's you, if you're self-associating with the ox in the passage today, led to slaughter, or, or maybe the seducer, would you lay that down today, like right here, right now? The grace of Jesus is extended to you today. Would you come clean? Would you walk in the light if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, John says in 1 John 1. But if we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's good news right there. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation. He's drunk, he's drinking the drink, drank, drunk. I don't know how to say it. He drank the wrath. He bore the wrath. He's our propitiation. He's taking it all on. And so would you confess? which means agree with God that it's sin, telling God and someone else you've sinned, bring it into the light and receive the forgiveness that is offered through the person and the work of Jesus today. Doesn't mean there's not gonna be consequences. There will be. 
It will quite likely be severe, inevitable, and extensive if Proverbs 6 has anything to say about it. But the ultimate consequence, separation from God due to your unrepentant sin, can be removed. You can be redeemed, restored. It will not be easy, but it'll be good. One of my favorite stories from the history of our church that I'll keep anonymous is of someone who I met a long time ago. This person wasn't really um, an active part of our church, but when life fell apart because of the sin and foolishness stuff that we're talking about today, when it, when it all caught up, this church was a place where this person knew that they could come and get what they need. The unadulterated gospel of Jesus. We are all sinners here. When we say that we embrace the mess around here, we mean it. We mean it. None of us are better than anyone else. We would all be doomed to hell in lives of destructive, severe, inevitable, and extensive consequences if it wasn't for Jesus. The difference between us and the rest of the unbelieving world is that the rest of the unbelieving, non-repentant world takes part in their cherished sins against the holy God, whereas we take part with the holy God against our hated sins. But only by the grace of Jesus. He is so good to you. He is everything to you. And he warns you because he loves you and he wants what's best for you. What's best for you? Well, with respect to sex, he tells us. Genesis 2, 24, let's read this out loud together. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. One flesh. It's an all-in commitment. It's a union, oneness, physically, emotionally, spiritually, intellectually, relationally, over the long haul. Growing deeper each year, stronger every moment, more intimate, and not just sexually. Adultery is a role play of all that. It's like playing house, mimicking what we've learned from exaggerated fantasies on TV from Hollywood. It's not the real thing. It's make-believe with respect to the real thing. It's a shallow satisfaction that will not last. And it's not just sinful, though it is. The rest of the Bible is crystal clear on this. But Proverbs wants you to know it's also foolish. It's not what's best for you. Listen, right about now, you might be thinking, boy, this church sure talks a lot about sex, you know, especially if you're here two weeks ago or if you're visiting today. You're like, what in the world is going on here? We got little kids in the room. Okay, I get it, right? Yeah, we're talking a lot about sex. You know why? Because Proverbs talks a lot about sex. In fact, the Bible talks a lot about sex. And so guess what? The church should talk a lot about sex. We should. We should talk a lot about sex as the church so that young single Christians in the church talk with each other about sex. Not having it, but talking about it. Talking about the temptations. Young marrieds should talk about sex. It's one of the biggest points of conflict that I hear of as a pastor in married couples' lives. So we should probably talk about it as a church. It doesn't, you don't age out of this either, as far as I've been able to tell, right? You don't age out of it. In your 50s, 60s, 70s, people are still talking about sex. Older Christians need to continue to talk about sex. Parents in the room with little kids, guess what? 
You need to talk to your kids about sex. You need to talk to them about it. And not just have the talk, but a series of talks over and over. Because you know why? Guess what? The whole world's talking about sex. The whole world is. But no one else, nowhere else is talking about what God has to say about sex. So we better. And if we don't, well, we'll just be shaped and influenced by everything else, just like everyone else, and we'll miss out what God has for us in sex. You ever wondered why sex is such a big deal to God? (laughs) And we just covered some of the reasons, but in the New Testament, Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul gives us another reason. In fact, he quotes that verse that we just read in Genesis 2, and then he adds this saying, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. The oneness that God intends for there to be in marriage, the one flesh union, It's to be a picture, a display to ourselves and other Christians, even the watching world of the union we have as the church with Christ our Lord. That's true corporately. We are the the bride of Christ. It's also a corporate reality that we are to experience individually as well. Christian, male or female, you're Christ's bride. Man, I know that sounds weird. It's still true. Christ has wed himself to you through his death and his burial and his resurrection and you trusting in him, you have become one with him, united with him. And he's perfect in his fidelity. Even when we are faithless, he's faithful. Story of the Bible is the story of Jesus, the bridegroom, coming for his adulterous bride to save us from our spiritual and literal adulterous ways and to unite us with himself in an unbreakable union. This is the gospel. And Christian marriage is a picture of that. It preaches the gospel. Adultery then, especially by Christians, do you see, it distorts the gospel. This is why it's such a big deal to God. That's why sex and fidelity in Christian marriage is so important to him. He created it in part to make known the gospel. Let's give ourselves, brothers and sisters, to preaching the gospel with our sexuality. Let's heed God's warning here in Proverbs because he loves us and he wants what's best for us and because he wants to shine forth through us so that all the world would know the faithful bridegroom too. Let's pray. Father, I pray now that you would be glorified through us as we seek to live in light of this. Help us to be not only hearers of your word, but doers too. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.